0: Well, we're nearing the end of our current series called I Will Give You Rest. And uh, as a joke each week, you'll never guess what this is about, right? It's about rest. And this is based on uh, Exodus 33, 14, where 14, where God tells Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And this came as a great assurance to Moses. Because in the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel didn't do so well. And so this little interchange between God and Moses comes after the golden calf incident where they built an idol where they send uh, a lot against the Lord. And he wasn't real sure, like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to keep going with this group of people. They seem particularly stiff-necked is the word. And I'm like, wow, that is like a descriptor of uh, all human experience, right? We're just kind of stubborn when it comes down to it. And yet Moses pleads with God, you have to go with us, you have to go with us. And he says... Okay, my presence will go with you, and that will give you rest. Such an interesting way to finish that sentence. And over the course of the last six weeks, we've made a deep dive into God's gift to us, which is rest. Intentional rest is more than self-care. It's more than a vacation. It's more than sleeping in. It's God's gift to us that we're invited to enter. And our goal with this series has been to explore the biblical framework of rest, and to learn how to practically pursue what we've already been given. So each week, we've been building. We've been learning that rest is more than getting enough uh, sleep, even though that's a huge part of it. As followers of Christ, we experience rest in physical ways. We experience rest in spiritual ways, replenishing our soul. We receive rest in eternal ways. At least that's the promise that we have for us. And all people long for rest because it's at the heart of God's created order. People need rest. I know that that comes as a surprise to many of you. And whether we like it or not, it's kind of the way that God made life work best. And whenever we talk about rest, we're talking about this built-in need that replenishes our body and refreshes our soul. Even God rested. For six days he made the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 declares, and on the seventh he rested. On the seventh day he rested, and he had a special name for that day, the Sabbath. It's a day of holy rest. And whenever we're talking about Sabbath, we're talking about a rhythm that's built into creation. So we've got a built-in need, rest, and we've got a built-in rhythm, Sabbath. And this Sabbath is an invitation. As the Israelites learned as they were leaving Egypt, it's an invitation to stop making bricks. You don't have to produce for a whole day. You can rest and take it off. You can um, stop being productive. You can have faith that you're secure, that you can uh, rest securely in me. Adam and Eve learned like the Israelites and many people have since, that the Sabbath is also a time to remember that we don't have to be God. Instead, we can enjoy all that God has made for us. When we stop, when we cease, when we rest, we feel more alive. We're so much less distracted. We're so much more able to commune with our creator. And maybe that's why Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, there's something about being in Christ that gives us access to a kind of rest we can feel deep down in our body and soul. How can we experience that kind of rest? That's where we're gonna turn today. So I wanna read for you a passage from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter that's known about, uh, it's known for the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul wrote this to a group of people in Corinth because some of them were, there was a little fuzziness here on the topic and some of them were saying, you know, that resurrection thing, coming back from the dead, that really didn't happen, did it? And the Apostle Paul writes, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, and then also to the twelve, the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So notice that last phrase, "fallen asleep." Well, what's that? What's that mean? It means they they died, right? Why wouldn't he just say that? Why use this euphemism, you know, uh, this kind of cryptic that they're resting, they're sleeping? Well, who knows? But maybe for the same reason we might say that. It sounds a little more gentle, right? Oh, they've fallen asleep rather than they've died. Or maybe Paul ascribes to the motto, I'll just sleep when I'm dead, right? I, I, I had a great time this week looking at like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. How many songs, how many albums have been produced with that, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead? There's a lot, and, and they keep pumping them out. I just kept remembering the Bon Jovi song, which dates me, it's from the 90s, but you know, he wasn't the only one. And so maybe there's another reason why Paul uses this phrase, is sleep. And he continues on throughout this chapter talking about the resurrection, because he knows that they need to understand and we need to understand the reality of this very important event. So I continue on. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all die will be made alive. So there it is again. He's fallen asleep. Christ, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. You know, Paul is by no means the first person to ever make the comparison of sleeping and death. I mean, even in the Old Testament, in the Bible, uh, people were described as being laid to rest. Uh, some of the kings even, they, they talk about them laying down. Same word, it's it's this idea of resting with their ancestors. Um, Outside of the the biblical world, Greek literature. As far back as Homer, who I I didn't realize, I knew this was old, but like Homer was writing eight or nine centuries before Christ, okay? So that goes back a long ways. Uh, You think back to your high school or college civic classes, the Iliad, the Odyssey. Homer's making comparisons between people resting, people sleeping, and death. But it's actually not a common expression in the ancient world. And yet, Paul, especially the Apostle Paul, he uses this kind of euphemism a lot, especially when he's connecting um, or when he's talking about the resurrection. And what he's doing there is he's emphasizing, you know, when you look at a person, this is stating the obvious, when you look at the person who's asleep, and a person who's just died, they look pretty similar, don't they? I mean, I, as a parent, I, I remember <laughs> I, you know, maybe I'm the only parent. I don't think i do this, but you know, when your kids are little and they've been sleeping for a while, you go in and you stare at their chest, don't you? Because you're trying to see it like, man, they just are not moving, and you're, and sometimes you have to like hold your hand over to see if there's breath. OK, yeah, good. <laughs> They're still. Because you don't want to touch them, they'll wake up, and you definitely don't want that, right? but you're still concerned about it. There's such a similarity when people are asleep and when people are dead. And no one knows exactly what happens when we die. Christians believe that our body dies, but our soul goes to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what we believe. And we believe that based on a couple inferences. There is no like 10 commandment clarity on like, here's exactly what happens when people die. We, we take that from some inferences that the apostle Paul gives us in a couple places in the New Testament. That you know he, he wanted to be absent from the pain and this body that he was experiencing and, and at home with the Lord is one of the things. Or he wanted to be present with the Lord. And so from that we infer like, oh, okay, So when we die as Christians, our soul goes to be in God's presence. And when Jesus returns at the last day, this is Christian theology 101, that's when we'll be resurrected. We'll be given a new body, a resurrection body similar to the one like Jesus had. This is really, really important. It's called the bodily resurrection. This is what Christians believe is that just as we have an embodied existence here on earth, we're going to have an embodied existence for eternity. And then somewhere in between, we're just unclear what happens. Really, really, really important. We're not just going to be spirits, spirit pixies forever with God. No, we're actually going to have this existence of bodies. We're given a new body, a resurrection body. And whenever Paul talks about, dying and the resurrection he frames it in such a way that it's like a reawakening by jesus the resurrection is a reawakening by jesus he says oh well they've just fallen asleep which sounds like paul is kind of in denial except that jesus does the same remember when his friend lazarus this is jesus's friend lazarus he gets sick sick and he dies and there's this really, really humorous exchange, or at least, I, I mean, I think it's humorous when you read it like, well, I don't know, maybe it's not funny because his friend died. But there's this odd back and forth between Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 11. And at one point, Jesus says this, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, If he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Believe what? That he could wake him up. That he could raise people from the dead. When Jesus is talking to Lazarus' sister, Martha, Similar thing happens. What are you talking about, Jesus? She says, oh, Jesus, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I don't know, do you believe this? You know, as a a kid, I used to read this and wonder, you know, how? How is that possible, right? And then, unfortunately, some of us, you know, we go from the childlike faith to the adult faith and we just go, oh, well, that's just one of those instances where I feel let down by Jesus, right? Clearly this doesn't happen. Lots of people are dying, are followers of Jesus. And so, I, I don't know. What's he talking about? Well, Jesus is saying there's both and. There's a both and happening then. He's talking about something theologians call the resurrection life. And it's both the resurrection life that's going to be experienced by his followers in eternity and the one happening right here and now the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die well okay Jesus how, how can I find that kind of life believing in Jesus putting your faith in Jesus That's the starting point. And it's a starting point because the word that's worn out, we say it's a journey, right? Life's a journey. There's a process involved here. So we're going to have a starting point where we put our faith in Jesus and then we're going to become disciples, which means learning learning how to follow Jesus. There's a way of living life that I need to pick up, that that I need to start doing, and for me, there was a, an aha moment, this whole like resurrection life thing that it wasn't just about me and Jesus and the great by and by in heaven someday, but there was actually something happening right now that I could tap into. And there was this aha moment that I had, it had to do when I learned how to rest and specifically rest in God's presence. There was a huge learning curve Uh, There was definitely some major surrender on my part where I felt like I was holding back a little bit from God and I needed to just say, okay, I surrender, Uh, I give in. There was a definite breakthrough when I learned to slow down, to calm myself and my senses, especially my mind and enter God's presence. It's a very spiritual thing, I suppose you would say yes, but it's also a very physical thing. And this idea of being able to enter God's rest or become aware of God's presence, uh, I mean, there's lots of different descriptors of it to abide in Jesus. I mean, there's lots of ways that people describe this. Um, I can do that anytime, anywhere. I just have to be intentional. God's always present. I'm the one who's just constantly distracted. But I can, in a moment, If I'm intentional, I can feel it, sense it. There you are, Lord, in your presence. Don't ask me why I don't do it more often. And actually, learning to do this was like several aha moments that were spread out over years of my life that God finally kind of connected together. What's the connection? The connection is that rest is a doorway into God's presence rest is a doorway into God's presence that's the way it was in the beginning that's the way it's always meant to be in the garden when did God and Adam God meet Adam and Eve he met them in the evening after they had finished their work and were resting for the day you know, on the seventh day, God rested. It's the Sabbath. It's a day of rest filled with worshiping God, enjoying all he's created. When you die and you've fallen asleep, you're resting with the Lord. It's the ultimate kind of rest. Rest is a doorway into God's presence. That's the way it's always meant to, to be. Whether it's a, a rest that lasts a whole day long, rest that lasts for eternity, it, it actually doesn't matter. You can find and enter that rest in a moment when you become aware of God's presence and you enter that gift. So let me back up to where I started this morning. Whenever we talk about rest, we're talking about a built-in need that we have. Whenever we're talking about Sabbath, we're talking about a rhythm that's built into creation. And whenever we're talking about combining these two, okay, we're, we're, or we want to talk about combining uh, into a rhythm of rest, and we're going to call that something too. We're going to call that abiding, abiding in Jesus. You see, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they just always experienced this kind of connection with God. Uh, it was this kind of soulful rest. They didn't know anything else until their sin got in the way. And then they were separated from God, I mean physically, but spiritually too. Uh, same problem that all of us face now, except that because of Jesus, that separation has been removed, atoned for, covered over. We don't have that spiritual separation. What about the physical piece? Maybe, maybe that's been removed Two, that because of the Holy Spirit, God actually dwelling in us, we can have this tangible experience of God's presence, of his rest. And so the word abide comes from us from John 15. And this is a key gospel text. Um, Jesus is using it as a metaphor of a grapevine and these branches, you know, he's the, he's the vine and you all are my branches. He's talking about the disciples and the God, the father is the gardener. I mean, it's this beautiful metaphor and it comes sandwiched between, um, two very significant thoughts. One is about the Holy spirit and the disciples like connection to the Holy spirit. And then also like learning to sacrificially love each other. And the reason I'm bringing this up, let me read this, the, the verse for you. The pivotal verse is verse five. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, throughout this whole series, I've been talking a lot about a, a theory, for lack of a better word. There's this biblical framework that we need to understand. When we, when we took this, um, this little survey on the first week and we filled it out, it's, what do I think scripture says about rest, activity, work, the Sabbath? You know, this was very pur- purposeful. Some of you aced this portion of the sermon series. And then you get, so you, you know, you might have all the right ideas, but, but maybe not. Maybe there's some things you've had to unlearn or some things that in the light of scripture you've had to tweak. But then you get to this section. In this current season of life, I would describe my capacity as completely overwhelmed with thoughts and tasks, and then on the other end of that spectrum, completely free to fill my time. You know, where are you? And if you're like me, you probably tended to like, land on this side, right? Like, well, even though I might have these thoughts and these great ideas about rest and you know, how important that is, why am I so overwhelmed? Why am I so tired? What, what, how come I don't feel this connection to God and I don't feel God's rest? Well, it's because, well, I don't know what the word is, right? It's because we're just not doing it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to experience it. So what I want to do for you, and some of you have seen this before, Let me make sure that you can actually see it, um, in a very practical way, we want to talk about what are some rhythms, okay, so the Sabbath we've already mentioned, like if, if, if we have rest, you guys can't see this, If we're going to call this abiding, and some of you know, oh Dan, I've seen this before, it's a discipleship tool that we've been teaching to some of you called the semicircle. And there's this whole idea that as followers of Jesus, there's this metaphor in John 15 where he talks about abiding in Christ, being like the branch of a of grapes, and that out of that naturally flows fruitfulness. You might ask yourself, well, aren't we always abiding in Jesus? I mean, if we're his followers, like we're in Christ, right? Well, yes, we are. But then why would Jesus tell this metaphor? If it's just inevitable, like, oh yes, Jesus, you know, I I put my faith and trust, I make you the leader of my life. And now it's just all I'm just waiting to abide or waiting for the end to come so that I can experience God's final rest. What is he talking about, this whole idea of abiding in Christ leading to fruitfulness? Well, I think it has a lot to do with what we've been talking about, this idea of rest. You know, last week I was like, what if instead of resting from your work, you worked from your rest, just like it was in the beginning? After the service, someone came up to me and they're like, you know, it's kind of like when I go on vacation... And it takes me three days before I feel like I'm I'm on vacation? I'm like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. What if you flipped that? And so you weren't just always recovering on your vacations or your or your weekends or whatever because you were exhausted from. What if you could flip that around and instead you you had this full tank that was you, you know, kind of emptied during the week, but then you filled it up again on the weekend? Maybe there's a rhythm to how I live my life that's kind of built into life. That's what the Sabbath is. And Jesus clarified for us that the Sabbath was made for us, not the other way around. As human beings, we so easily make our faith a transaction, Okay, God, I've done this, and now you're going to bless me, right? Oh, I followed the Ten Commandments, God. I'm saved. And yet, over and over again, when you read Scripture, God's like, "Ah, you just don't get it because it's actually about, I'm going to ruin my visual here. Oops, spelling was a forte for me. It's not, trans- faith isn't transactional. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. Covenants are built on relationship. And so if there's these rhythms that Jesus clarified, like this is something that's meant to help us connect and worship God. Well, maybe there's other rhythms that, are, that we could practice that would help us to rest, that would help us to abide, that would help us feel connected to the Lord It would help us hear him. Yes, there is. This is what we call spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are meant to help us engage. They're an opportunity for us to engage with God. There's lots of spiritual disciplines. Uh, Prayer is a spiritual discipline, right? Uh, Reading your Bible. Either studying it or reading it devotionally. That's a spiritual discipline. These help us stay connected to the Lord. They help us to abide. What are some other things? This is where all of us go. I don't know. I thought there was just two. There's lots. Uh, the Sabbath, we could say maybe gathering with God's people in worship. That's a spiritual discipline. That's an opportunity to, for us to connect with the Lord. Really, really important. What about celebrating? What about uh, celebrating? Yeah, that's, a, that's like making a list or just as you're driving down the street, you're thinking of the good things that you've seen God doing in your life, you know, in the last week, in the last month, in the last year. That's kind of similar to another spiritual dif- discipline called remembrance, where you're remembering things that you celebrate, that you, it just makes spontaneously into prayer. God, thank you so much. I saw this happen this week. That's a spiritual discipline that maybe could change your life. Create some new pathways. Uh, Other other disciplines. These are disciplines of engagement, by the way. Giving is one. Confession. Ooh, what's that? Right? Telling another person. Confessing for God, like, hey, I messed up here. But also telling a trusted Christian friend, like, I messed up here. It can be a powerful thing. That's, a, that's engaging with God. Lament. Fellowship, I mentioned that. Serving others. That's a spiritual discipline. An opportunity to engage God. Meditation, memorizing scripture. Um, these are all ways for us, all kind of rhythms that we can enter into that help us to Abide. There's also uh, spiritual disciplines of ceasing. And this is where the whole Sabbath thing comes in because sometimes you can combine these things. Um, Ceasing, chastity, it's an important one. Simplicity is a spiritual discipline of ceasing. Fasting, solitude, silence, submission. Again, spiritual disciplines are not about the transaction, like, oh, I spent a day away in solitude, and therefore, God owes me something. It's an opportunity to engage with the Lord. And when we combine all of these things, the power that's unlocked is like, oh. When I go away to um, experience some solitude, I come back feeling very rested. Why do you think that is? When I spend 15 minutes memorizing scripture, and then it comes back to me like later that day when I'm not even expecting it, and it connects to something that happens in my life. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, right? But there's this experience of God's presence in that moment maybe it makes you feel rested i don't know but it starts to overlap when we're talking about what we've been talking about there's physical spiritual eternal aspects and we're the ones who've separated all that for jesus for the hebrews for life you know we are a whole person and you know in our western way of doing things we've uh, we've separated all those things. And when we bring them back together, it's really powerful. What I'm trying to say is that, practically speaking, there's important ways, rhythms, that we have to build into our life. And when we do, it's a way of entering into God's presence. It's a way of abiding with him. It helps us to hear his Spirit's voice much more clearly. It gives us clarity on where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do, how we respond to God. Mission critical for followers of Jesus. And so um, next week, I'm looking forward to Matt being with us in worship. He's going to preach the final message uh, about the seasonality of rest. And I'm really looking forward to that but in a very, very practical way. You're like, Dan, what, are, what, do you, what do you want me to do here? It's like, well, what I want you to do is, is rest. I want you to slow down this week, uh, chair time. Take five or 15 minutes each day this week and just sit there in the Lord's presence and see what happens. Uh, I want you to rest. I want you to go, oh i've got two days off on the weekend or maybe i've got a day here and a day there instead of just filling that with stuff from my home to-do list i'm going to go for a hike instead very intentionally to spend time with the lord or i'm i'm going to set that i'm just going to slow down and not just do things that i'm uh, you know if mowing your lawn fills your your soul that's okay Mow your lawn, do that, and then come over to my house and mow my lawn too, right? But we have these ways of making them transactions like, oh, can't mow my lawn, you know, that's working. Well, if it feels like work, don't do it. But if it's something that feels like this is the way that God has made us, that's what I want you to do. We're a congregation, a group of people that as we do this together, you know, it's kind of joyful. It's kind of, life doesn't have to be skull drudgery, week in, week out. But we're so easily distracted, or we have uh, bad habits that get in the way that we need to uh, undo. This is the way that God made us. Please join me in prayer. Lord, help us. Help us. Because this just doesn't come easily at least for some of us. And we really need to rest. We need to slow down. We need to allow our senses to be calm and still. That's where we can hear your voice. I'm reminded of Elijah, Uh, the still small voice. It wasn't in the rocks smashing against the cave or the thunder or lightning. or No, you, you came to him in a still small voice. You still do that, Lord. You are always present with us. Help us to hear you. Help us to slow down. Help us to rest. We pray this in your powerful name.